0: Encourage you to have your Bibles open again back at page 799 at Psalm 31 and because we'll be looking at that as we this morning. Um, What do you do as a Christian when your life is filled with oppression or you are fearful of your future? People being fearful of their future is something that is obviously been in the hearts of many Australians, maybe in this last week, as fires have ravaged around them. It may be in the heart, not just of those who've had fires, but it might be in the hearts of people in different family situations, in different work situations, in different health situations. Is it right for us as God's people who trust in God to cry out to God when there's anguish? Is it right even to feel the anguish or is that a sign of us being weak? Is it strong Christians that never cry out to God and weak Christians that cry out to him in pain and anguish? Is it really okay to bring God your real problems? Subtly... We don't always think it is. When we gather as gods, people often leave our real problems in the car before coming into church, won't we? Not the children, I mean. There's no children in the car. Uh, uh, I mean the real the real life problems. Uh, we'll pretend that life is really good when we're at church, but we know it's really crap for the other six days of the week. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that word in church, but anyhow. That's real, isn't it? Maybe I could ask the question. Does God's reality even touch your reality? Or do you feel that you need to divide the two, and have your game face for church and your real face for when you're at home? Well, today we bring, begin a five-week series over summer. Um, hopefully it's only five. No, no, I do quite like the summer. Um, five weeks. So we're going to look at the Psalms. We're only going to look at five Psalms. There's 150 of them, so we're not going to cover all of them. But I want us to look at five of them in a row so that it it gives us the idea that we get to understand that God's reality can touch our reality. In fact, let's put it the other way around. Our reality can touch God's reality as the Psalms deal with the real issues of our life. How about I pray for us? How about I pray? Lord God, we pray that your word will speak to our hearts this morning. Those distractions of life, those real worries, Lord, help us to see how... Your word speaks into them. Uh, we pray that as your people, we will have a real relationship with you. Not a cultural one, and uh, not a habitual one, but a real one. And we ask this, Lord, in your precious name. Amen. Well, before we look at specifically at any one psalm, which will be Psalm 31 a little later on, I want us to give a, an overview of all of the psalms. Well, not really. What is the book of psalms all about? Uh, the Hebrew word for it is a book of praises. The praises. It's a, it's a book of praise. We often refer to it just as psalms, and if we're very clever, we feel that we know that psalms is songs, there's actually praises. Now we need to be really careful here because sometimes we use the terminology of praising God to refer to we can praise God because we've got a smile on our face and a warm fuzzy feeling in our gut somewhere. But the Psalms are more than just saying to God, my life is going well and I feel great. Praising is more than saying my life is going well and I feel great. In fact, two-thirds of the psalms are psalms of lament. And we'll talk about those in a moment. As we look at the whole book of psalms, uh, we see that it's a voice, a human voice, crying out to God. Uh, We talk about the Bible being the word of God, and it is, all the way from beginning to end. And yet the psalms is a book where it's... Humans crying out to God, first and foremost. But do you know what? It's the most quoted uh, Old Testament book in the New Testament. So in the New Testament, it's quoted more than any other book. And Jesus quotes Psalms more than any other book. It's not just people crying out to God. It is God's word to us. It's God's word to us that reflects the experiences of people speaking to God from their hearts. And in many of the Psalms, there's really raw emotion as people speak out to God. Uh, we don't always know the context of the person who has written the Psalm. But well, I tell you what, it's not hard to pick up and share their experience as they sing to God. How are they communicated to us? These are songs. These are poetry set to music. And at the very top of the Psalm thirty-one, in fact, most of them, they have information about who it's for, or maybe information about what music, to, what uh, musical instrument to use. Um, it's for the Psalm thirty-one is for the director of music. It's a Psalm of David, or a Psalm for David. These are songs written in many different situations. Some are written in times of great loneliness. Some are written when the psalmist is sick or maybe close to death. Some are written uh, after loss or injury. Some are written after being rescued from great danger. Some are written on the way to the battlefield and some are written on the way home from the battlefield. Some are written to be sung in the temple of Jerusalem for their public worship and to commemorate particular times of their um, salvation history, what God has been doing in their lives as God's people over many years. And some are written for when the new king is installed on the throne in Israel. Lots of different situations. That's not the exhaustive list of those situations, but that's where the songs have been written from. And they are a songbook, but yet the danger is that we can refer, think the Psalms is simply like all the songbooks we have at church, where everything's arranged in alphabetical order. The Psalms, the book of Psalms, is five books. And those five books are not five separate books, they are five books that work together to make one book. They have a flow, they have order, they have detail. I'm not going to go into that now, that's later and greater depth than we've got time for this morning. But it's not a random collection, it has purpose. Before we look at Psalm 31 in particular, let me just take us back to that whole idea that two-thirds of the Psalms, this book of praise, two-thirds of the Psalms are actually Psalms of lament, crying out to God in great sadness. Uh, The Psalms of lament are actually almost like protesting to God that things are not good. They are crying out to God in suffering or pain or deep distress. And you can feel the emotion of these psalms. When life has become unbearable, when life is painful, when life is beyond our understanding, the psalms of lament are the psalmists throwing it all up before God, crying out to him. You can hear the weeping in different situations. You can hear them wondering, what is happening? Why is it happening? And you can hear them waiting, God, we want you to do something. I want you to do something. Weeping, wondering, waiting. And so if you've ever wondered if it's okay to cry out to God with the genuineness of your life, In times of great joy or times of great sadness? Particularly in times of great sadness, these psalms of lament are really raw. They are very confronting, some of them. But they're all addressed to God. They are God's people crying out to God in the midst of very tough times. And it's a book of praise. For God is praised in the midst of deep sadness. That's why they're real. That's why they are the book that we should be reading, along with everything else in God's Word. But they speak to us, they speak to where we're at and how we live as real people in a broken world who follow, real people who follow God. Which brings us to Psalm seven, uh, Psalm 30, 31, sorry, page 799. It is a psalm written by an individual that is filled with lament. One person crying out to God. Unfortunately, we don't know exactly why they're crying out to God. We can speculate, and people certainly have, because speculation is always good for academics. But here, King David, it's written by King David or for King David, it could be either one of those two. But here, we can still work out what King David is saying. It's a psalm that cries out to God for deliverance. We could well assume that King David, um, was he cries out to God in his great distress and cries out to God in his, for deliverance, we can assume that he knows God. Twice in this psalm, from verses 1 through to verse 8, and then from verse 9 to verse 24, we can see him move from a place of great anguish to a place of great assurance. Verse 8, you set my feet in a spacious place. That's a good picture, a place where things are not as confined and cramped in attacking him. Or a little later on in, the, in verse 24, and actually from verse 21 onwards, he can praise God. So David, can, David, as he sings, sings about the change that's happening in his life from a place of anguish to a place of assurance, but don't assume that that means all the tough things have gone away. It could be one thing that he's singing about twice and giving us more detail the second time, or it could actually be two situations in his life he's reflecting on of how God, knowing God, has been good for him to move from anguish to assurance. Uh, I'm not going to work through Psalm 31 verse by verse, but I do want to ask three questions of the psalm that will help us understand how, we can, how it can impact us today. The first question is this, what is it the psalmist knows about God? He knows that it's safe to cry out to God, for he does so. He knows that it's right to seek his refuge in God. And the reason he knows that it's safe to cry out to God and it's right to seek refuge in God is that he knows God. How does he know him? Verse 2. He describes God as his rock, unmovable, unshakable. He describes God in verse 2 as his strong fortress. No one can threaten. Verse 3. Because God is his rock and his strong fortress, he wants God to be the one who guides him. He doesn't know what's happening. He doesn't know what to be doing. He wants God to guide him and lead him. He's faced with overwhelming odds. He seeks his refuge in God. He knows God. Verse 16. He knows that God is a God of unfailing love. And in verse 17, he knows that God is the God to whom everyone must give account. David doesn't need to seek his own solutions. God will bring about his justice. God is good at doing that. Verse 19, David knows that God is bigger than what he can see at the moment. And God's plans for his life are going to be better one day. He says, not just in the here and now, but he says in verse 19, how abundant are the good things that you've stored up for those who fear you. It could be looking forward to eternity, to being with God in heaven. It could just be looking forward to the end of the current problem with a life on earth. But he knows that God is filled, has stored up good things for those who fear him. There's just a few examples from this psalm of what David knows about God. In the face of overwhelming odds, David knows that even when evil, his friends have deserted him and when people who see him flee from him, that he can take refuge in God knowing that God will deliver, that God's ways are good and that God's guidance is safe to follow. And knowing that, in the brokenness of David's situation, he can praise God. Verse 21 and 22, God has shown him the wonders of his love, his faithful love. God will deliver his faithful people. God has heard his cry for mercy and call for help. So not only can David praise God from a place of great anguish, he's not saying, listen, God, once everything's gone, I will start praising you. He's praising God from that place of great anguish. He also can call out to people who don't know God and say, follow this God. Look at verse 23 and 24. Love the Lord, all his faithful people. That's calling out to people who know God. Okay? That's the Israelites. Saying, if you find yourself in this position, you can trust God like I have done. Because God is true. And God will preserve those who put their trust in him. To all who follow God, to all who put their hope in the Lord, be strong and take heart. For God will watch over. God will provide. God will protect all who hope in the Lord. Why? Why trust God, even in the face of brokenness, when God hasn't yet delivered? Well, let me ask our second question. Why trust God in times of opposition? In verse 10, you get an idea just how terrible these things. This is not a two-minute problem that David's facing. He says in verse 10, My life is consumed by anguish, my years by groaning, my strength fails because of my affliction, my bones are weak, that's not a two-minute problem. His life is consumed by whatever this problem is, his years are consumed by groaning, his friends have deserted him, his strength has failed and the reason he doesn't desert God the reason why he doesn't go elsewhere or give, for, for protection or give in is that he knows that all the other gods are empty, false nothings. That's what idols are. They are nothings. They cannot deliver. They are worthless. There's no point putting your trust in something that's worthless. In verse 18, one day, God will bring to account all those who attack Him, because God is sovereign. So, so why does King David trust God? What, what only what he, not only what he knows about God is important, but also he knows that there's nothing and no nothing else worth trusting, and no one else, else worth trusting. For God is sovereign. His trust in God is not uh, just I. I hope it all works out, it's based on what he knows about God. It's not just an emotional reaction for a bad time, it's in what he knows about God. So will God instantly deliver King David? Is he, fi- is he? As he sings this psalm, is he looking for a quick fix to the oppression that he's faced with? Is he treating God just like the genie? I rub the bottle and out he comes and master, do my bidding. No, I don't think he expects that. He entrusts himself to Yahweh. In the midst of whatever it is that he's faced, he hands himself over to God who is loving, even when harsh things continue to happen. Verse 15, he describes himself like shattered pottery. People attacking, conspire to take my life, verse 12 and 13 that is. And he says in verse 15, my times are in your hands. Deliver me from my enemies, from those who pursue me. What does a passage like this, a psalm like this, a song like this have to do for us today? Let me ask a question. Do you know God like this? Do you know God like the, the, in the way that King David knew God? David's trust in Yahweh comes from his knowledge of who he is. Do you know him like David knows him? I know you're not the king of Israel, and literally no one has, at least as far as I know, no one has put your place under siege with an army, if that's the context. But how are you preparing your heart and your mind so that when you are faced with this sort of opposition? You know the one that you can turn to. It is dangerous for us to ask this question because we can know about God but not really know him. We can have the answers. Do you know his faithfulness? Do you know his trustworthiness? Is he your rock and is he your refuge? I find it easy to say, yes, of course he is. But worthwhile just analyzing whether that really is the way that we know God. You see, life life as God's people is not a bed of roses, is it? One day you're going to be feeling overwhelmed if it's not already today. When you're not happy with life, when you're not coping with life, when your strength has failed you and the power within you to overcome is gone. When you don't have the answers, King David can cry out to God, seek God, trust him, serve him. And King David moves from a place of great anguish to a place of great assurance because he does that. He knows who's in control. Be strong and take heart, all you who in your frailty have put your hope in the Lord. Rejoice in the good things that God has prepared for those who put their hope in him. And call on others to do likewise. We live in a world in which people need this sort of hope. We live as God's people in this world. We know God. We should model that hope. Now, I do want to finish just by raising to you from Luke 23 how Jesus used this psalm. Because Jesus cries out the words of verse 5, doesn't he? As he's hanging on the cross, in fact, possibly the last things he says certainly is from Luke's perspective. Into your hands I commit my spirit, he quotes verse 5. Did Jesus expect him to be removed from the cross instantaneously? Did Jesus expect all of his worries in life to disappear because when he, when he quoted the verse uh, from Psalm 31, no, Jesus died. Into your hands I commit my spirit. I'm about to die. I'm still doing my father's work. I know my father. I can trust him. Great opposition. Opposition didn't go away. He didn't expect immediate deliverance. there was not relief, immediate relief from those who opposed him, but he knew God's good plans. and he probably quoted it. It was a song I don't think he actually sung it. He probably cried it out this line from this psalm. You see, that's how Jesus used the psalm. He knew his father. He knew he could trust him. How about I pray? Our loving Heavenly Father, as we look at your word, we thank you for that privilege. Uh, We pray that just looking at the Bible each week, in Bible studies and Bible readings and sermons and that sort of stuff, We pray that it won't just increase knowledge. We pray that it does increase knowledge, but we pray that it won't just increase knowledge. Lord, we pray that your word will change our hearts. And may we see today that your heart is for us to know you well. Because when life falls apart, that is vital. Lord, we know many people who have walked away from you in times of great anguish. We may have been tempted to do it ourselves. We pray that this psalm will remind us of the goodness of trusting you and seeking our refuge in you. We pray that this psalm will remind us of just who you are and why trusting you is so vital. And Lord, as we think of this psalm, and it's cool for us to proclaim the goodness of Jesus, the goodness of God to a world so that they can do likewise, we pray that you'll give us the courage and the boldness to live as your people bearing witness to your goodness in a broken world. And we ask this, Lord, in your name. Amen.